Welcome to the Jeffers Brief, only on Contra Radio Network. Hello again, Intelligentsia. John Jeffers here on the Jeffers Brief, only on Contra Radio Network. Now, you may notice something different. I've been, first of all, haven't been doing, didn't do an episode last week. Why? Um... <laughs> I told you about a year ago I'm be playing around with green screen. Well, I've been teaching myself how to do green screen. Everything from the video editing hardware, I mean software, to actually getting the green screen. So, the more I do this with the green screen, the better it will get, I promise you. But I wanted to get something out there before the election because this, my friends, is important. First of all, here in Illinois, they have something called the Worker Rights Amendment. <sighs> this end is not good. I will be voting against it. And I was a union member. I was a union rep. And this is bad. So, from uh, the law office of um, Obmanson and Davis they put out an article. Some of you have seen the commercials. I'm sure they're flooding the state all over with it. Be careful for those of you that live in the blue states. You, my friends, are going to end up with something like this if this goes through. This is why you have to vote against it. So the proposed amendment one to the Illinois Constitution is the so-called workers' rights amendment. And it formally reads as follows, and so just bear with me here, because we're going to go through this, and you can understand why it's going to be bad. It states, employees shall have the fundamental right to organize and to bargain collectively through representatives of their own choosing for the purpose of negotiating wages, hours, and working conditions, and to protect their economic welfare and safety at work. No law shall be passed that interferes with, negates, or diminishes the right of employees to organize and bargain collectively over their wages, hours, and other terms and conditions of employment and workplace safety, including any law or ordinance that prohibits the execution or application of agreements between employers and labor organizations that represent employees requiring membership in any organization as a condition of employment. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, wait, doesn't the National Labor Relations Act already protect unions and private sector employees and their ability to organize and bargain collectively over wages, hours, working conditions, and other issues in the workplace? Hmm? 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 And doesn't the Illinois Public Labor Relations Act do the same for the public sector workers? The answers are a clear yes and yes. So why the amendment? What does it really mean? Okay, here you have, here we go. This is why this is bad, boys and girls. Well, the amendment creates many unknowns. However, it's quite clear that the amendment accomplishes two major goals of labor organizations in Illinois. First, this will prevent Illinois from enacting any law that permits it to adopt right to work on any local or state level. Second, it will prevent lawmakers in any level of government from passing any law or local ordinance that attempts to reform, modify, 
moderate or in any manner uh, or address public union benefits or working conditions that are ultimately bargained for and agreed to in the past, current, or future. So, as a result, there appears to be three major concerns worth noting. One, the amendment prevents any public union pension reform of any kind on a local or state basis. Number two, the amendment allows for limitless demands at the bargaining table for public sector unions while preventing elected officials from relying on any legislation or local ordinance limitations to justify saying no at the bargaining table. And number three, the measure will prevent Illinois from becoming a right-to-work state through possible future legislative action, thereby continuing to force workers to join a union in order to keep their jobs. <coughs> now, what it comes down to is, oh, you want this job, you got to join the union. What do you do every pay period when you join the union? you got to pay union dues. Ah. Now, a note. Wisconsin, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, and Michigan are amongst the majority of states that have right-to-work laws that forbid anyone from losing their jobs because they don't want to be a part of the labor union. Oh. So let's be a tad more clear. The amendment will prevent Illinois legislature, governor, city councils, county boards, and every other elected official or governing body to create any law or ordinance now or in the future that is designed to reform Illinois' public pension system. Indeed, the Illinois Supreme Court actually told the state a few years ago that it could not reform its public pension system unless it first amended its constitution. The long story short is that not too long ago, Illinois passed legislation to try and reform its public pension problems, but the Illinois Supreme Court found such reform to be in violation of the state's constitution, and the only way to reform public pensions in Illinois would be to first amend its constitution to allow such reform. So instead of creating a measure to amend the constitution in order to address and permit public pension reform, Amendment 1 will single-handedly prevent Illinois or any local unit of government from passing any law or ordinance to do just that. Now, the amendment will also permit any public union to negotiate and receive whatever it wants at the bargaining table. And this includes police, fire, and other public safety employees who are currently unable to walk off their job to do so. That is true. In Illinois, uh, uh, firefighters and police officers are not allowed to strike. Okay? They used to in the early 70s, up in Waukegan, for example, when the Waukegan Police Department said, screw you, city, we're going on strike, and they walked off the job, it forced the Illinois State Police to come into Waukegan and be the, uh, the law enforcement agency for the city until that was resolved. So, they said, so the Illinois legislature said, okay, from now on, firefighters and police officers are not allowed to strike. However, they do have the right to go to binding arbitration. And that was, it was a win and it wasn't. I mean, I was part of the, the uh, sheriff's office union. And we went, there are times he went two or three years over my career of 26 years, where we worked two or three years without a, con, a new contract. 
So basically, when you get to that point, though, you're really talking about wage reopeners because you have management rights and whatnot pretty much stay the same. Now there might now there was a time when drug testing was the big hot thing, so the union said to tell you what. Uh, they went to the county and said, we want drug testing for our employees. Therefore, we want, to we want to open up the contract agreement, the bargaining agreement, so we can talk about this. And it was a good thing, and the county was more than willing to go along with it. So, anyways, that's what they're talking about, right? So, the amendment will also allow public safety employees to bargain over the right to strike. Additionally, the amendment will prevent the state or local units of government the ability to create any law or ordinance that prevents unlimited giveaways at the bargaining table, allowing public sector unions to demand and receive an unlimited amount of pay and benefits, with work dues going back, of course, to the labor unions. Remember what I said earlier? If this isn't clear enough, perhaps think about this way. What current Illinois politician who controls the state's finances and wants to say no to the very labor unions supporting them politically? Oh. The amendment will also prevent the passage of any law or local ordinance aimed at allowing an individual to decide if they want to join a union or not without the loss of their job. In other words, this measure will permanently force employees to join a labor union that is already entrenched at their employer in order to keep their job. While Illinois is currently a non-right-to-work state, this amendment will effectively prevent Illinois from ever becoming a right-to-work state. The amendment does nothing to alter or modify an employee's existing right to join a union and bargain collectively if they so choose. As that right is already firmly in place under state and federal labor law. In short, Amendment 1 is designed to permanently cement the control of big labor in Springfield. Good, bad, or otherwise, this is the down and dirty of Amendment 1 in Illinois. Voters will decide its fate next week. There. That's what it is. Now, right now, what happens is, let's say you don't want to join a union. Okay, here. Let, let me back it up here. We had... Uh, the lieutenants at the sheriff's office had their own union. Wasn't a lot of lieutenants, but they still had their own union. They had the right to bargain. One of the lieutenants says, I don't want to join your union. Okay. But even though he didn't join the union, he still enjoyed the benefits of the union. For example, all the lieutenants got a pay raise, including the one who didn't want to join the union. He got, he got, he got everything in the contract that the other ones got. So instead of saying he, he was getting he was getting the same benefits without having to pay for it. However, the way it's set up in Illinois, it's called a fair share. And what and this is and this is this is okay. This is all right. He had to he had the amount of money which would be the union dues. Say say the union dues were twelve fifty per pay period. Instead of that 1250 that the lieutenant who didn't want to join, who was not a part of the union, that 1250 wouldn't go to the union. It would go to a charity. Now, here's the catch. It's the charity that the unions set up. So, you know, who knows? I don't even know what those were. But that's how it would work. That's how it works. 
that's not a bad system and it's worked quite well since then this is why I will be voting against amendment one because once it's in the Constitution it's gonna you'll never get out you'll never get it out of there and we all know Democrats are supported largely by public sector unions so let's say for example we're in Chicago because that's a totally different animal but it is run by Democrats so Cook County is negotiating and their deputies come up and they say you know what we want a 50% pay increase well the politicians and there are politicians will sit there and green light it give it the blessing because they know that union dues are going to go up and that union dues money comes back into their pockets in a roundabout way that's why but let's say for example uh, you're in the private sector now you're forced to join the union you don't want you don't like the union I didn't like when I was with the FOP for example we railed against them about supporting Democrats we railed the best there, there was a real row about it some years ago and they finally got on board with membership because people were saying that's it we're not giving you any more money da, da, da. And then, anyways that doesn't happen anymore so you are a you are forced to join a union you don't want to join the union you just want a job you just want to support your family give me a job I think it's fair pay da, 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 da. anyways so let's look down the road five six years this amendment is not part of the Constitution the workers who make uh, the widgets you gotta have a widget everybody's gotta have a widget so now the cost of the widget will go from one dollar to three dollars because the employer has to be able to make some money I mean after all it is his company but the union guys have come in they say oh no 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 we want this amount of money well no one goes into business to go out of business and if you do you're not a very good business person so that's why the workers rights amendment is that bad alright alright uh, for you preppers out there we have this what will work after an EMP attack I'm going to give you 10 things that will modern survival online thank you it's very good I like it so whether it's cause hold on what is this oh this is interesting of course it's interesting you know why because it is before we get going I got I got to run this guy so hang with me from the DMZ to the NATO front this is Contra Radio Network yes it is yes it is all right for the 10 uh 10 things that are going to work after an EMP. Now, whether it's caused by a high altitude nuke detonation or the deployment of a purpose made EMP generator, either has the capability of plunging society back into the pre industrial era by destroying electrical grids and any technology reliant on a circuit board. 
The first, second, and third order effects are difficult to calculate, but suffice it to say that many devices, tools, and vehicles that preppers count on will be out of action unless specifically hardened or protected. And this is difficult to do, especially for the things that we use every day. A better option might be preparing for an EMT attack by learning what items are likely to work after such an event. After, by acquiring these items ahead of time and even making their uh, use habitual, you can better insinuate yourself against the massive loss of capability attendant with a high-energy EMP. Every nuclear, every nuclear explosion creates an electromagnetic pulse, period. Power tools. <clears throat> Done. No, I'm kidding you. It might, come, it might come as a surprise that most power tools will work after an EMP, even battery-powered ones, so long as a few things are kept in mind. First, the tool itself or the batteries must not be directly connected to the power grid when the EMP occurs that will likely burn out the electric motor and render them useless. Second, any specialized tools that use the electronic control pad or a circuit board for power regulation will probably be toast, even if they aren't connected to the grid. Now, barring this, you can probably depend on electric or gasoline-operated power tools in the aftermath, if you, can ha if you have gasoline. You can find it. You can store it. Batteries. Now, this should be a tip-off for you, but for clarity, pretty much all primary and secondary cells that we depend on in life will survive an EMP so long as they are not on a charging dock that is connected to the electrical grid. Uh, the casing of the battery itself acts like a Faraday cage for protecting the electrolyte inside from the effects of EMP. So long as the terminals do not complete a circuit, there is no way for the dangerous current present during the event to damage them. There you go. It should be noted, however, that batteries that are presently connected to the vulnerable devices might be destroyed or damaged from the immediate effects of an EMP on its host device, but you generally don't need to worry about the survival batteries kept in storage at all. So there, manual tools. In case you forgot, boys and girls, you can always depend on manual tools in the aftermath of an EMP when electric tools and devices fail. I mean, that's just the way it is. Anything that relies on humans or animals for power will still function the same as it always has. Hammers, saws, more intricate tools like plows or mills. If it is not dependent upon electricity before the event, then you can count on it working after. Pretty simple. I would suggest you start a collection of manual tools that can supplement or even replace the capability of your modern ones it's a good first step in EMP preparedness. Uh, flashlights and lanterns. Another surprise EMP survivor is the common flashlight. Whether or not it has batteries in it, this rule of thumb counts for electric and liquid fuel lanterns too. Now, considering how important these fundamentals tools are in the survival situations, you can breathe a sigh of relief knowing that you won't be totally left in the dark after an EMP. Your best bet if going electric is to choose an incandescent version instead of the more modern LEDs. LEDs themselves may or may not be directly vulnerable to EMPs depending on who you listen to, but more sophisticated versions of these lightning tools uh, might rely on circuit uh, boards for power regulation and more. So in this case, simple 
is definitely better. Let's talk about compasses. Now, a traditional magnetic compass, though it might be temporarily spoofed by an EMP, will return to normal function in the aftermath. Because an EMP, even an extremely powerful one, is generally not a sustained bombardment of electromagnetic energy. It will not permanently interfere with the polarity of the Earth's own magnetic field that a compass depends on for orientation. You understand, yes? Okay. You'll be able to depend on your compass to help you find your way once the event is over, although actually making your way, well, that could be an entirely different story with a whole shitload of chapters. <laughs> Mechanical watches and timers. Now, some timing devices do not depend on electricity at all, or else depend only on battery power. Uh, you still have need of clocks and precise timers for a variety of purposes in any major survival scenario, particularly a long-term bugging scenario. So it is a good idea if your timing devices will survive an EMP. From wristwatches to alarm clocks, even something simple like a kitchen timer, a wide variety of mechanical timing devices deserves a spot in your EMP prep plan. In the case of battery-powered clocks or other timers that can be plugged into a power outlet, don't count on them surviving if they are plugged in when the event occurs. Again, anything connected to the grid is probably toasted during an EMP. That's true. All you need is a nuclear detonation at 220 miles above Kansas, Nebraska area will wipe out, will wipe out the United States electric grid. That's just all there is to it. Now, I have heard many times over the many years I've been doing this show, an EMP strike is usually the very first strike that occurs before nuclear detonation devastation hits cities and military bases and missile silos and whatever else you have because of that effect. So, the very first strike of a nuclear of a nuclear attack will be an EMP strike. Mechanical pumps, from simply moving water to operating sprayers or even siphoning other fluids from a variety of vessels or holding tanks, pumps are rarely in the limelight in our society but are absolutely necessary for a variety of industrial and residential settings. Look at your sump pump, for example. Depending on where you live, where you get your water from, you may or may not be able to depend on water coming from any taps you open. If it stops flowing, having an alternative pumping system to supply your house would be a boon. Similarly, having a variety of pumps down everything from watering the garden to giving your animals fresh water is great capability to have. Larger pumps that can move huge volumes are still an option if they can be operated by generators. Now, here's a big one. I know a lot of you guys are thinking about this. You probably already thought about it, but most pre-1980 vehicles will still be operational. Now, you have to understand that with your typical motor vehicle manufactured after 1980-1981, it's going to be rendered immediately and probably permanently out of action. That might not necessarily be the case, though modern cars are marvels of technology, which you can read as packed full of computer chips, circuit boards, and other delicate, vulnerable electronics. It wasn't always this way. 
especially for you younger people listening to this broadcast. Now, vehicles from several decades ago either did not depend on computers to operate or they were used only to supplement their performance, meaning they could still turn the key and get them going after an EMP. The cutoff generally reliable function post-EMP for domestic and foreign vehicles alike seems to be around 1980. So look for older model years if you want an EMP proof ride. You still got a cup of gasoline though. All right. But if you have a siphon pump, all right, you get it now? <sighs> Solar panels. Um, Possibly one of the best investments you can make in EMP preparedness is a good set of solar panels. Either larger ones that can supply your household needs or smaller ones that can recharge your personal electronics. Uh, solar panels themselves are not directly vulnerable to the effects of EMP and so long as they are not connected to an electrical grid when it occurs, the worst that will happen to them is usually a tiny overall loss in efficiency. A properly set up solar array can keep the electricity flowing when everyone else is scrambling in the aftermath. Consider that if you're going to use solar panels for full-time or supplemental power for your house, you'll need to take special steps to protect them from the surge of energy that an EMP will cause. Now basic appliances that you rely on uh, will we'll continue to function after an EMP so long as they are not connected to the electrical grid as has been mentioned several times throughout this article. Especially older model appliances like refrigerators, freezers, washers, dryers, and the like. As with all electronics, if it does not have a sophisticated control panel, it will probably be fine if it survives the surge of power. Basic appliances that people use every day like coffee makers can easily be run off solar panels and that means you don't have to go to all the all in on a non-electric replacement so long as you plan properly. So, um, there's been a couple studies taking into account the massive effect of newer nukes in the hundreds of megaton ranges that can penetrate NORAD up to two miles deep. It may short circuit or even weld alternators and points on older vehicles. Keep spares in Faraday cages, and you may also possibly reverse the polarity of exposed batteries, which will need to be adapted to function. Uh, bear in mind that most information online is still projecting uh, off of older data and studies. So, there you go. Uh, Dick Powell, uh, he, he, he made this comment, and, and it's, worth, it's worth putting out there. Anything with a semiconductor in it, including solar panels, even if not connected, will probably be ruined. He says when a semiconductor junction fails, it usually goes uh, a short circuit. A solar panel is a series of silicon junctions that come forward biased when exposed to light. Obviously, the regulator, inverter, and appliances that are in the way of the EMP or the CME will be in short circuit and hence current will flow back from the battery to the damaged device. If it's not fused, it may start a fire or worse. In an instant, we'll be back to the 1800s relying on animal power, but that's not the worst of it. Nuke plants, even when shut down, still emit around 10% of the energy they produced when in operation as waste heat, which has got to be, uh, you got to get rid of. 
Normally, the pumps operating from the grid or backup generator do the work, but after everything is fried, the generators will eventually run out of fuel, the water ponds will boil away, and we have dozens of Three Mile Islands or Chernobyls rocking and rolling. Bad juju. So there. You know, and they, you know, it brings up a really good point on this. The last time the United States did a, any type of a nuclear test was in the 19... Was, they had the, was it Kennedy did the uh, test ban treaty in 1962? Something to think about. Something to think about indeed. From the DMZ to the NATO front, this is CRN. All right, preppers, here we go. Now, economic collapse blog. Very good stuff. I like them. Guys, I've been telling you for months and months and months, you got to stock up now, you got to stock up now, do it now, do it now, do it now. Even as inflation was raised in the prices, I kept saying, stock up now, stock up now, stock up now. Well, they won't be able to deny the cold, hard reality of what is happening to the U.S. economy much longer, guys. They're really trying hard to convince us that everything is just fine. But did you know that close to one-fifth of the U.S. population is skipping meals because because food prices are too high and nearly 40% of our small businesses couldn't pay rent in October our leaders are trying to put a positive spin on things but the truth is that we are witnessing a tremendous amount of economic suffering all over the United States right now the core consumer price index just surged the highest level since 1982 and this is putting an enormous amount of financial stress on American families and businesses This week, there was a survey that was released that found that 37% of small businesses in the United States could not pay their rent last month. 37%. And these are randomly selected small business owners. Half of the respondents say their rent is at least 10% higher than six months ago. And if you go back seven months, the majority said their rents had increased by at least 20%. Moreover, the study found that 37% of small businesses, again, which is almost half of all Americans working in the private sector, were left unable to pay the rent in October. So prior to getting this news, if someone asked me to guess the percentage of small businesses that are currently unable to pay rent, I would have responded with a figure that was far lower. So often, things turn out to be even worse than what we really think they are. If those small businesses continue to be able, unable to pay rent, they will eventually be forced to shut down. So what will our communities look like if millions of small businesses suddenly close up shop on a permanent basis? Now, meanwhile, a different survey has discovered that 18% of Americans are now skipping meals. That's nearly two in five American households. 40% received food or goods from a food bank. 20%, 22% for millennials, and for the same amount, 17% stopped buying healthier foods, which is the organic or high-priced healthy foods. So nearly one in five Americans, 18%, say they skipped meals or didn't buy groceries due to the high inflation, including 28% of Generation Z 
and 23% of millennials. So skipping meals can be a positive thing because fasting is actually kind of good for your health. But most Americans are not skipping meals for the health benefits. In addition, the same survey found that many Americans are not taking medications or seeing their doctors because prices have gone up so much. Many have canceled or postponed plans in the past 12 months to see a specialist. That's 14%. Take a prescribed medication, 10%. Or get an annual physical, 11% due to high inflation. Now, if things are this bad already, what will those numbers look like next year at this time when economic conditions are going to be significantly worse. The American people are going to become increasingly frustrated as our standard of living continues to plunge. And yes, I personally think it's by design. <sighs> the American people, are, look, all of us have to eat. And so many of the products that so many of us buy on a regular basis have gone up dramatically in price. For a year ago, for example, Bag of potato chips at the grocery store costs an average of five oh five. These days that bag costs six oh five. A dozen eggs that could have been picked up for a dollar eighty three now are average two ninety. A two liter bottle of soda that cost a dollar seventy eight will now set you back two dollars and seventeen cents. And this is just the beginning. Now even though the Federal Reserve has declared war on inflation, food prices are going to continue to rise for a variety of reasons. Let me give in to the little mission creep right here. Grocery stores, how much have they increased their margins? All right. As the cost of living keeps becoming more oppressive, more American families are going to struggle to make it from month to month. Even now, nearly two-thirds of the entire country is currently living paycheck to paycheck. <clears throat> as rising prices continue to outpage wage gains, families are finding less cushion in their monthly budget. As of September, 63% of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck, according to the recent Lending Club report, near the 64% historic high hit in March. A year ago, the number of adults who felt strained was closer to 57%. Consumers are not able to keep up with the pace that inflation is increasing. That's just the bottom line. The worse things get, the more we will see people clamoring the federal government to help them. This is the same federal government who doesn't believe that there's a problem on the southern border. Uh, we have one recent study actually discovered that 63% uh, of all U.S. voters are in favor of inflation stimulus payments. That is, we're going to raid the Treasury. Now, U.S. voters expressed some degree of support for federal inflation relief checks being distributed. The Newsweek poll conducted by Redfield and Wilton Strategy showed that um, of those who agreed the federal government should do so, 42% 40 indicated they strongly agree, while 21% said agree, according to the poll. Most voters don't seem to understand that sending out more stimulus checks would create even more inflation. There is always a cost when the government gives out free money. It's not free. 
if our politicians would have exercised discipline over the past several years, we would not be in the mess we are in today. But now, years of very bad decisions are catching up with us in a major way, and economic conditions are rapidly deteriorating. So at this point, the vast majority of the U.S. population can see this, and according to one recent Gallup survey, a whopping two-thirds of all Americans believe that economic conditions in this nation are getting worse. Now, many, Ameri many people are talking about the possibility of a recession in 2023. Really? Yeah, if all we have is a recession next year, we would be extremely fortunate because right now the economy is starting to crack and crumble all around us, and the outlook for the months ahead is exceedingly bleak indeed. That's it, boys and girls. Thanks, Michael. Good article. I want you people to realize something. The baby formula shortage is still going on. But the mass media is not talking about because they have to run cover for the Democrats. You want to know what else is in short supply? And I confirmed this at my pharmacist with two registered pharmacists. I asked them, I said, I heard that amoxicillin is in short supply. If you don't have um, children, you may not know this. Amoxicillin is a simple antibiotic that we've given that our our children are given when they have you know ear infections and whatever else you know whatever sickness they come up with from you know from school every year we're almost out of that but you might think to yourself and I did I asked I said aren't most of the medications manufactured here in the United States I was wrong they are not as a matter of fact, the pharmacist said, you know what? I don't know. So she went back, checked what she had on the shelf, looked at the bottle and said, put it back. She says, Jordan. I said, Jordan? She goes, she goes a lot of the, a lot of the meta, uh, medications we use here in the United States are manufactured overseas. Jordan, India, the United Kingdom. So, and I said, well, how much is actually manufactured here in the U.S.? Then the, uh, another pharmacist he heard us talking, he goes, there's nothing here. He says, this is why we got to get our manufacturing back so we can start making our own meds here. And he's absolutely correct. Absolutely, absolutely correct. <sighs> now, some people um, are wondering why NATO, which is mainly made up mostly of European countries, are so um, invested with this war in Ukraine, especially the United Kingdom. I would suggest to you this. The answer doesn't lie in the last few months. The answer lies years ago, prior to the uh, outbreak of hostilities. And my guess would be this. When Adolf Hitler marched into the Sudetenland and the European powers did nothing, a new term was bandied about called appeaser. That was Nevin Chamberlain's title, the appeaser. And you probably already know this, but I'm going to tell it to you anyways. 
you can never be able to satisfy an aggressor who's out to grab land and I think in the British especially in the, in the with the Brits I think in their own mind they will never ever ever again allow that to happen because I think the cost of World War II was costing everything because not just money because the United Kingdom was financially broke at the end of World War II broke they had no more money but I think the cost in lives and devastation to the infrastructure I think that was much higher than is generally acknowledged and I think the uh, other countries have looked back on it and said never again will we give in to an aggressor who just grabs stuff now I know a lot of you out there think Putin's fighting Nazis yes and no what you have to realize is that during World War II before World War II Joseph when especially if Ukraine Ukraine was not being a good um, Soviet satellite state so Stalin said guess what I'm going to do and he took all their food all the grains took it into Russia and distributed it to all the other Soviet states that were being behaving and doing what they're supposed to do Ukrainians starved flash forward 1943 the German Wehrmacht comes marching into Ukraine on their way to Russia. The Ukrainians welcome them with open arms as, as liberators. They finally got somebody who's going to fight back for them because they couldn't. Many of the Ukrainians joined the Wehrmacht. You had many SS uh, divisions created from uh, the Ukrainians. So when we look at Ukraine today, and you say, well, they're fighting, you know, they're fighting, you know, the Russians are fighting the Nazis. Well, yes and no. They're fighting um, the the descendants of those that welcomed, that joined the Wehrmacht. And it would be, today's fighters would be their, their elderly parents and their grandparents. And their grandparents were telling them stories of how they were starved by the Russians. So, and don't forget when the Wehrmacht went into Ukraine. Yeah, they were, they were having children with the uh, local women. Yes, that is true. So, are they fighting? Yes, they're fighting Nazis. And I guess the question has to be asked: Did we fight the wrong enemy in World War II? Patton thought so, but that's another issue. And getting back to my original thought was that because Chamberlain and all the other European powers didn't stop Hitler from marching into the Sudetenland, which if they did, World War II may have never happened or have happened a lot later than what it did. So when you see Putin who went into Georgia grabbed Ossentia, annexed that into Russia, then turned around in 2014 and annexed the uh, Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine, annexed uh, the Luhansk and Donetsk Oblast from Ukraine. And granted, there may have been a majority of ethnic Russians living there, but I hardly think seizing it through military is the right way to do it. 
but that's just my opinion. So that's why you see, I think you'll see uh, the United Kingdom is, is very invested in not giving in to Putin. Land grabbing is a thing of the last century. So um, there you go. That's my take on it. You may not like it. All right. You don't have to like it. All right. Am I through here? I think I might be. So, oh, that reminds me. Before I go, uh, Contra Radio Network is now a member of the National Association of Digital Broadcasters. And you can now get to our uh, show, not only on CRN.best, but WCRN. Yeah, you can get there with that, too. So, there you go. There you have it. This has been going on. Oh, it's raining pretty hard outside. So, I just wanted to uh, get this out here before the election, especially about the uh, the Workers' Rights Amendment. What a crock of shit that is. All right. Let me think. Did I get everything else? Oh, yeah. Lax bail laws. How bad do you have to get? Look, people. Bottom line is, when you have no cash bail, you can have either woke policies and no cash bail, or you can have personal safety. You cannot have both. That's just the reality of it. Look at look at New York. Look at Los Angeles. Look at Philadelphia. All woke prosecutors. All with you know we're not. Here's something interesting. You can commit a crime, go beat somebody senseless, almost kill them, rape them, steal from them, whatever, and you will not spend time in jail. You'll go to the police department, you'll be processed, and then you'll be kicked loose. But, God forbid, I go to Washington, D.C. on January 6th and raise holy hell. I end up in federal prison with no bond, no bail. Yeah, go figure that one out. All right. Until next time, I'm John Jeffers. I want to say thank you for listening and watching. And I said, we'll get back and better to the uh, green screen thing. The more I do it, the better my skills will become. (laughs) All right. Until next time, I'm John Jeffers. Take care of yourselves.